0: I have always been a battle against normal. As you're talking to me in a yellow tuxedo, as obviously right, right. I I despise normal because I feel like normal no matter what gets normal results. No one gets excited about normal. And I think a lot of people are in a constant fight to fit in. I believe in standing out.
1: Welcome to the Ziggler Show, where we inspire your true performance. I'm your host, Kevin Miller, and in this show, you're gonna get convicted. On the need to stand out from the crowd. There are very few things, which you're gonna hear this on the show, where you can honestly say you are the best, but you can always find a way to be different and you must. So must I. Uh, So I got a treat here for you. A guy who did this in an amazing way with a low level baseball team. It's a movie worthy story. So I attended Social Media Marketing World in San Diego in early 2018, saw this guy walking by in a bright yellow tux. I think you could have seen him from outer space. And my mom, who I was standing with at the time, says, oh my gosh, I got to introduce you to Jesse. So we walk over and I get an introduction to Jesse Cole. Later, I get the story from my dad. So Jesse took a college league baseball team, a summer team in Savannah, Georgia, that was having maybe a couple hundred people attend a given game. And he went... Nuts. He decided to make the event about family and entertainment with a little baseball thrown in. A couple short years later, they pack out every game with over 4,000 people and are sold out over a year ahead. Yeah, he now has two teams and has more coming in the future. You'll hear that in the story as well. But it's an amazing and again true story, kind of where the truth is stranger and far more glorious than fiction. He went from a nice living to going a million dollars in debt, living on ramen noodles. I mean, literally, that's the story. It's a consummate entrepreneur struggle we we talk about so often but literally he's now poised to change baseball as we know it. So really you've got to hear what is happening here, but what's best is you're going to smile and be massively inspired. Jesse has inspired me to do some things differently, better even investing in relationships, which he makes so much of a focus in his business success. So you're going to want to hear this. I'd encourage you also go get his book, find your yellow tux, how to be successful by standing out. And we cover some of the basic premises in the, book. You can get it at findyouryellowtux.com or wherever you buy books. So we'll start with Jesse as soon as I share some great resources with you. Okay, friends, so get ready to be informed and inspired by this discussion with Jesse Cole. Okay. So this past March in San Diego, social media marketing world conference, talking to my parents, Dan and Joanne Miller. And mom says, as this guy goes by in this yellow tuck says, Oh my gosh, you got to meet Jesse. And so walked me over. That's when we met later on, I heard the story and I was intrigued right from the get go, man. Thank you for being here.
0: Oh, excited to be with you today.
1: Well, here, you know what? I'm going to start off. How old are you, Jesse?
0: 34 years old,
1: 34 years old. Okay. So folks think about that. 34 years old here. This is right out of the front pages of his book. He wrote his eulogy and I'm starting there because it was so profound. Well, here you go. Just check this out. Jesse Cole was the ultimate showman who entertained millions by bringing energy, enthusiasm, and enjoyment to everything he touched. A person who inspired millions to challenge the status quo, to be different, and to live the life of their dreams. A person who truly cared for others, was always there for anyone who would give them everything he had. And the most loving husband and father to his wife and kids, he devoted his life to them and made them happy. Wow. When when did you write that?
0: Uh, about two years ago now, when I first started drafting the book.
1: Two years ago, what was the impetus to do such a thing?
0: I've always been reverse engineering kind of everything in my life, the, my business, the dreams, where I want to go. And I said, how do you want to be remembered? And the whole thing on Find Your Yellow Tux, my book, is you know be different, stand out, but find your purpose. And I believe if you want to find your purpose and how you want to be remembered, why don't you actually get in that vision standpoint and look back on it? and put it down on paper. And it was a very challenging thing to do, morbid as it is. But when I started writing it, it started coming out. It's like, you know what? I'd be proud of this person. And who do you want to be? And how do you want to be remembered? And that's what I constantly ask myself. And that's how I started my book. And one of my big things is whatever's normal, do the exact opposite. And to start a book (laughs) with an obituary is definitely not normal. I'll say that. Well, just
1: to write your obituary period is, is dramatic. So, In the two years following that, I know you've had, and we're going to get into it a little bit into your story, things have not been uh, perfectly smooth sailing and all. How impacting has that statement that you wrote, put in writing, put in pen, how has it been to lead you through, to carry you through, yeah, some of the turbulence?
0: (laughs) it's helped tremendously. It leads me in my given day. You know, I think about that, especially in my family life. I just welcomed a new baby boy three months ago. And I think about the father that I want to be and how do I want to remember it as a father and a husband. And the beginning, as far as the showman and inspiring people to stand out and be different. I mean, that's how I live my life. And so I'm constantly thinking about that. And The big thing for me is I always want to simplify things. I think as soon as you start trying to do so many things, it's very hard to live that life. So that in one paragraph really simplified who I want to be.
1: Yeah, well, you, as you know, because I told you about this, it inspired me. Uh, about as of our recording right now let's see it was probably six hours ago i wrote mine now i'm going to give it a couple days i'm going to rewrite it and then because i have your permission and folks i'll tell you i am posting jesse's eulogy on facebook at my personal page agent k miller where a lot of you have friended me so that you're part of our weekly questions instead of uh, posting one of the questions and just doing the answer session that i usually do with tom Ziegler, i'm posting a eulogy i'm challenging everybody to write their own. And then I'm going to have Jesse come back on a show and we're going to talk through some of them. Uh, again, it's just so profound. It's kind of like those deathbed regrets. It's, it's powerful stuff. So there you go. Thank you for that. You know, we could stop right there and say it was worth the price of admission, but we won't because there's more to come. Okay. So part of your eulogy is inspiring millions to challenge the status quo, which that, was interesting to me when I first read it. It's even more interesting after I wrote my own eulogy because in a lot of ways I would say that about myself. But as I wrote mine, I didn't come out with that. You did though. You put that in your eulogy. It's not a benign statement. Tell me where that desire comes from.
0: I have always been a battle against normal. As you're talking to me in a yellow tuxedo, as obviously I, I despise normal. Because I feel like normal, no matter what, gets normal results. No one gets excited about normal. And I think a lot of people are in a constant fight to fit in. I believe in standing out. And so the status quo, I I struggle with it. I, I fight against it because I think people really live their life. They really have joy. They have excitement and adventure when they're doing things outside of the box that are different, that aren't normal. And, you know, as I share, whatever's normal, do the exact opposite. And I've been fighting the status quo with baseball. You know, I'm in the baseball industry, as some would say. But I've never considered myself in that. We are all in the entertainment industry because we're trying to do something dramatically different. And I believe that, you know, for me, I'm going to help people find that full adventure in their life, that excitement, that things that really stand out, because I believe that's really living. That's living to your full self. And, you know, what I believe in Find Your Yellow Tux is that everybody has something that makes them stand out. It's the best version of themselves. And that's what my goal is to help people find.
1: Well, and I want to speak that because so here you are in a yellow tux. And as people are going to hear about in a minute, you uh, part of your norm is getting out in front of thousands of people and doing all varieties of crazy stuff. And uh, you know, that's not me. That's not me. As uh, Chalene Johnson talked about in one of our recent shows, she said she's an outgoing introvert. That is me. If I'm drawing any attention to myself, it's, it's, it's uncomfortable. And yet I'm with you there. And I want to say that, and I know you deal with this, that you're saying that this is a reality and a possibility for everybody, and they don't have to wear a yellow tux and be out in front of thousands of people. You can be an introvert, and you can do this in your own way, because I, as I hear you talk, I think... A lot of our, gosh, displeasure with life, no matter who you are, with wherever you are, with what you're doing, with your station, whatever, comes because you are not happy with the status quo. Mm -hmm. And so your call out, and I can speak to it because it's in your book, Find Your Yellow Tux, it resonates and it's real real impossible for everybody, uh, again, who who may not be of the yellow tux wearing variety Mm -hmm. specifically, but you're saying you can have that in your own way, shape, and form.
0: Yeah. Three questions I always ask for people to look at themselves and then also to look at their business. What makes you different? What makes you stand out? And what can you be the best at? And then when you figure out that, amplify it. Go all in on it. And I think that's one of the biggest things. Everyone tries to be a lot of generalists. They try to be good at a lot of different things. Well, that's impossible. There's things I am absolutely terrible at. I don't focus on that. But being a showman, being out there in front of 4,000 people at our stadium, that's what I love. That's what I can be the best at. And I focus all in on that. And, you know, I I find most joy in that. You know, you think about things in your given day that you're doing that you're like, why am I doing this? I don't enjoy this. You just go through the motions. Don't do it. Focus on those things that you love. That's what you can be the best at. And now ask yourself, is it different what I'm doing? Am I doing something that stands out? Or am I just trying to be a little bit better than someone else? I'll tell you, better isn't different. Only is different. And so many people try to be a little bit better, a little bit faster, a little bit quicker. You know, they focus on the ER, being a little bit er. Mm -hmm. That's not different. (laughs) You know, and that's that's something that I look at. I challenge our staff every day. What are we doing that we're the only ones doing? Because competition, we don't want to compete. We want to make the rules. We don't want to have to break the rules like we're always doing. Make the rules.
1: Uh, that man, you're you're being uh, very quotable today. I'm gonna have to pull a lot. I keep, I always do that. My intro clips, and I'm gonna have to really. I might have to just do a lot of them here, folks. You're gonna hear a whole <laughs> session. It's like the Ziegler version of Jesse Cole. We're gonna use lots of clips here. Well, I, now I want to get into your personal story, but I'm gonna vary from my norm a little bit because it's so profound to see what you've done. I want a little snapshot of what you've done the past couple years with your baseball team. And, folks, it does, this has nothing to do with baseball. This has to do with everything we've been talking about. But give us a snapshot of you coming in, taking a summer college baseball team, getting a couple hundred people per game to show up, and now, well, you tell them the rest of the story. <laughs> Take us from there. Well,
0: Long story short as I can, 11 years ago, I jumped into the sports industry as a general manager in a team in North Carolina, Gastonia, North Carolina. And I showed up that first day, found out the team was only averaging a couple hundred fans a game, that the team had lost $100,000 the previous year, and that there was only $268 in the bank account. And we had three full-time employees, and payroll was on Friday. So that was my first day. And I realized something really interesting there, that the team had been there for seven years, but no one was coming to the games. No one really cared. And I said, hmm, it's pretty good baseball. It's not the top baseball, but it's good baseball. No one's coming. And I had that realization that, hey, we can't be the best baseball team in the world. We can't be necessarily the best in concessions. We can't be the best at a lot of things. But we'd be the only one that focuses nonstop on entertainment and creates a circus-like atmosphere. So back to 11 years ago, we started having dancing players, grandma beauty pageants. We started, I started getting the dunk tank every game. I mean, it was an absolute circus. And attendance skyrocketed. So then the story really took a a crazy turn when three years ago, we decided to come to Savannah, Georgia, and there was professional baseball there for 90 years, professional. And now, so everyone knows we're not professional. Set the tone here. There's major league baseball, triple A baseball, double A baseball, high A, low A, rookie ball, independent ball, top level college. And then there's us down here. (laughs) So we are not definitely the highest level of baseball, but somehow the city Uh, was open to us coming in because professional baseball had failed there. Mm. They didn't draw fans, and they said they needed a new stadium to be successful. So they left. We showed up on October fifth, two 2015. The phone lines were cut. The internet lines were cut. And literally, we showed up and worked on a picnic table, and it was a struggle. And long story short, within three months, we ran out of money. We had to empty out our savings account. My wife and I had to sell our dream house, Mm. and we were sleeping on an airbed in the decrepit, worst, nastiest place I could even imagine. And that was less than three years ago. And from that point on, there's a longer story, but we figured out how to create attention, how to go all in on the entertainment. And since then, we've sold out every single game, the last two straight seasons, and we have a wait list in the thousands. And it's been a wild ride. Um, but that is the Spark Notes version of the story.
1: Well, one of the things that I thought of when I first started reading the book that you later then addressed is I'm thinking. Okay, but these guys who are playing baseball, they still think of themselves as athletes. They're there. I'm sure some you know many of them, most of them, all of them. I mean, they're serious. They want to perform well. They're practicing, they want to do well, and then you come in and say, Okay, guys, I'm gonna give you guys dance lessons or have those taught to you, which you did, and sure enough, so I'm sitting here thinking, Come on, that can't have just gone over perfectly well. And you talk about that right off in the book that you had one of the main players who said, No way, he started in doing it, he says, No way, I'm out, forget this. And then the ones who did became such stars of the game that that guy came back, jumped in, became one of the main guys, best dancers, and went on to be or, – or, or added that, I don't, I don't know, to be a, a male model. Uh, but in that story then – so you've got these guys – I, I guess I want you to clarify, as much as you have made this about entertainment and doing crazy stuff and funny stuff, I mean, those guys are still there to play ball. And as we first talked, uh, gosh, a week ago or so, you had just about won the state championships. Is that right?
0: <laughs> we had the best record in the league. And so right. we had the best record in the league, number one seed, and we went to the semifinal and lost that. But yeah, the, first, the last three years, we've had the best overall record.
1: That's incredible. So this has also parlayed into some good sports, too. I mean, these guys are playing well.
0: Well, what comes first? And I think that's the big thing. I talk about standing out a lot, but again, what we've realized that we can be the best at is providing the ultimate fan experience. And here's here's a little secret. We believe our biggest fans aren't the guests that necessarily come into the ballpark. Our biggest fans are our own people, our employees, our players, our staff, our game day staff. So we want to provide the best ultimate experience for them. So I'll tell you what we've learned. We don't focus on the baseball, but we focus on literally providing the best atmosphere, selling out the game every night, making sure it's an absolute, unbelievable place to play and giving them the best experience. And what happens is the baseball takes care of itself. When you know what business you're really in, everything becomes easier. And I ask businesses all the time, what business are you in? What business are you really in? We are in the entertainment business 100%. So we make that clear with our our players and our staff. And then all of a sudden, everything else just follows suit. So it's been uh, a process we've learned. Our first uh, day this year, we had all the players come in. We filmed music videos. We had dance practice. But then all of a sudden, we opened up the gates and told them, guys, this is practice. But you're going to have 3,000 people come to see you practice. And they understand how much of an impact they made. And when people understand impact, man, everything just takes care of itself. So they understood the impact. And they were like, we're in on this. We've never played in front of 3000 people for practice. Are you kidding me? And so we make sure that's pretty clear.
1: Well, for all you folks listening who are in business, which is the vast majority of you, I'll give a personal testimony tomorrow. I have a meeting with my primary business partner. We're going to talk about just what you said there. Uh, I, I think that we are good employers. Do we make our employees priority? No. That is not my natural inclination, man. I'm looking out and looking at the big vision we have out there and I'm going after that. I want them to do their jobs. And, uh, for you to say our first effort is to, are we creating the best atmosphere possible? And that second question, what business are we truly in is a brilliant question. That would be, man, that may be another, that may be another Q and a show right there. That's viable. <laughs> well, Hey, I, I, I want to talk about you a little bit. I want to come back to your story. You know, I know that in your upbringing, your dad was into baseball. He he is who exposed you. So uh, granted that, but in regards to what you find yourself doing today, the business that you are in, the vocation that Jesse is to write that kind of a eulogy, what prepared you early on for that type of a pathway as opposed to, uh, you know, any, whatever else it could have been that you're now a showman.
0: <laughs> well, I look back and when I was a kid, you know, I was a pitcher. And I love being on that mound almost by myself out there pitching and, you know, really putting the whole everything on my shoulders. Um, I just love to be in front of people. And, you know, again, this isn't for everyone. I love trying to make people laugh. You know, if if you have someone that's a class clown, I tried to be that class clown. So for me, it was the getting attention, making people laugh. But really, you know, I, I realized what I loved. It was getting together with people. I mean, the reality is I was an only child. My parents got divorced. My father fought to get me, which was one of the best things that ever happened to me. My mother had some drug problems and issues, and I live with my dad, but I was an only child, and I was by myself all the time, so as a young kid, I had this longing of just being around people, and so, you know, it's, it's ironic when it comes together. My biggest joy is seeing 4,000 people at the ballpark every night, and then out there at the gate with our pep band playing music and our players and dancing with the fans and just having fun, so... I'm that guy that wants to be around people. And so that's something to think about when, with, as, as you know, if you're a person that's a lonely person that wants to be by yourself, good, be the best at what you can be in that sense. For me, I got to surround myself with people. And so that can be a showman. That's what I do.
1: So I'm going to dig into that because as we talk about it, Ziggler, we're so much talking about motivation. What is the motive? What is that driving factor? For you, okay, so to hear you talk about, I wanted to make people laugh. I want to entertain them. I love seeing them there. What's the further why? It's a, you know, if we say, okay, yes, so that what? Because they can just, they can laugh at somebody's misfortune. That's not what you're mm-hmm. doing. You want to give them that so that why. Mm.
0: It comes down to feeling. You know, I, I think answering that why and keep going, it's how do you feel? How does it make you feel? Yeah. And I, you know, I look at, I always to myself, I look, you know, during the day, am I ever watching the clock or am I losing track of time? And I challenge my people mm-hmm. to that. And I say, guys, if we're ever watching the clock, we're doing the wrong thing. And so what I realized, I look at these moments, these memories, and I have them all in my head when I was the happiest. And it was when I felt that I was actually, you know, going back, I was making my dad proud. I was making my family proud. Yeah. and I was just around people that could actually, um, I could feel the impact. You know, we talk about with our team, it's, it's the greatest amount of impact for the greatest people. We don't talk about revenue. We talk about impacts. Every fan is an impact. So for me, it's just always been that. Can I feel that impact? And when I feel that, when people hug me at the gates and they're crying, we have emotional stories in the ballpark that you brought my family together this summer. Nothing else matters more. And so we constantly talk about purpose, purpose, purpose. It's not just about selling tickets, it's not about selling out the games. With our staff, we're talking about what is that impact that they're feeling every single day. And for me, it comes at the top. I make sure I share that over and over again, what's happening. So that's all that I'm looking at. I mean, I try to simplify it. I don't know those that deep, deep why, but I know how I feel when a, when a, a gentleman comes up to me at a game and says, I haven't talked to my mother in years, but your games brought me and my mother together. We sit together at every game. She's never had so much more fun. Your games have helped bring together our relationship. I know how I felt when he said that to me. And that's where I try to fight and try to get more of those over and over again.
1: That's a why, if I ever heard one. And thanks to these sponsors for bringing us today's show. Man, when we talk about motive and purpose, both of which you just talked about there, you did briefly touch on the story of going after these initiatives, selling your dream house, Uh, going into the junkie uh, apartment or whatever it was on an air mattress. But for you, when you go over those times, where was the place? Was there a certain point where you realized, man, I'm at a low, I'm at a low point. My faith is a little on the edge right now. Where was that? Where did that happen?
0: Well, it was, it was January 15th, 2016. See dates actually stand out to me. Um, That was a date that I was at my best friend's wedding and it was at 445 in the afternoon on a Friday And one of our employees called and said, we just overdrafted our account. Mm -hmm. We're not going to cover payroll. And all I could think was, wow, our job and our job as as an employer, our people don't work for us. We work for our people. And I felt like I let them down. And my wife and I, we could barely smile, unfortunately, at that wedding. We drove back and she turned to me and said, our only option is to sell our house. That's all we have. And we drove back from New Jersey all the way back down to Charlotte and just thought about what that meant. And our responsibility, our people were our babies at that time, our employees, our business. And so we knew that we had to put everything into it. That was an extremely low point that I felt like I was letting down the most important people. And so my wife, being as strong as she is, said, no, we're selling our house. That's it. We're going all in. We'll figure it out. And that conviction really did a lot, uh, did a, did a lot for us.
1: Okay. So speak on that because you mentioned that multiple times in the book. Well, you know, you have a whole chapter devoted to going all in. That's a recurring point that you come to. And so now as you've gone beyond your own story and you're so involved in a lot of other people and their stories, mm-hmm. uh, and again, it's a focus of your book. Talk to us a little mm-hmm. bit about going on, because I assume that that's in there because you see a lot of people who hurt themselves by not.
0: Hmm. To me, it comes down to the business of belief. Do you believe in what you're doing? And so, for us, and also, what's the reason why you're doing? You talk about the why. If you're trying to just, uh, I'm going to go all in because I think it'll make a lot of money. I'm going all in because uh, I'll, I'll get covered more in the newspapers. I'll have, you know, I'll be known for this. I'll be known for that. That, that's not the right reason to go all in. We believed so much in what we were doing and how we were so different and unique and the impact that we could make that. It just hadn't caught on yet. So for us, it wasn't, it wasn't even a question. We just knew. And we did a lot of small bets going up to that point. And the chapter before that is small bets, because you have to realize, is there something that that actually matters to people? And for us, we tried the flatulence fun nights and the salute to underwear nights and the senior citizen dance teams. We tried this. We knew people loved it. They just, we didn't give them a reason enough to care yet in Savannah. We had to grab their attention. And as I share, attention beats marketing 1,000% of the time. And if you're just marketing, you don't got people's attention and their eyes and ears, you had nothing. So once we tried all those small bets and we really believed that we were doing something different, that we had the right purpose, it makes the all-in decision very easy. So I don't think there's a guideline and say, hey, this is when you need to go all in. But add those up. Have you tried small bets? Do you believe in what you're doing? Do you have a strong Why? then it makes it a
1: lot easier. Okay, so when you talk about that, the early days, especially there in Savannah, um, if we look at the term of, in essence, luck, which I think a lot of people, we think of luck as just you know dumb happenstance. And I'm grateful that I was uh, brought up by parents who you know my parents well. Yes. And luck was when preparation meets opportunity. Was there a, what, or what was a big break or a tipping point in the story. And I'll ask specifically about Savannah. Uh, When did that happen? What was the, uh, yeah, what was that? What was the the tipping point? Big break there.
0: February 25th, 2016. So again, I'm big into the dates because everything, I just, I try to remember moments. And so just about six weeks later, five or six weeks later was when we announced the banana's name to the world. And it sounds crazy. It's just a name. But it was announcing that name that created unbelievable amounts of attention. We didn't sleep the nights before. We were very worried about what people were going to say. But when we announced the team was going to be Savannah Bananas, what happened was all of a sudden, number one, trending on Twitter. We started doing orders from all over the world. It went crazy. ESPN, Good Morning America, Today's Show, Sports Illustrated, everyone was covering it. And the crazy thing was we made so many mistakes leading up to it. I mean, the week before the first shipment of T-shirts came in and bananas was spelled wrong. There were too many ends. I mean, we did we did all these things that were wrong um, and we didn't understand international shipping. Uh, You know, literally six dollars to ship a hat to New Zealand. We weren't making a lot of money because the shipping was about 50 bucks. So uh, it goes back to our concept of do and then learn. You know, we learned a lot there, but it was that moment that I said, wow, we're doing orders all over the country. Everyone's talking about us. This could be something special. However, as I mentioned in the book, locally, we got crucified. The owners should be thrown out of town. You guys are an embarrassment to the city. People hated the name locally. They loved it nationally, hated it locally. But here's the big thing. They were talking about us. They knew who we were. And once they realized our why, the fact that we were all fans first and understand, we knew we could get them into the funnel. And that's what happened. And now we've developed an unbelievable following, but we had to get their attention first. So on February 25th, we knew that was the tipping point.
1: Yeah, the more I dig in, the better the story is. I mean, it's just a fair... Who's going to make a movie about this? I mean, you're talking, yeah, in essence, 40 or so days from your low point to a... Big break, and how often? I mean, I I just speak from my own experience with myself and so many others, thousands of people that I've walked with over the years. That on a big initiative like this, why? I don't know why. I'm just going to state it out there because I've become familiar with it, and in that, it helps me to have more faith. Mm -hmm. That why so often when you're you're nearing that the greatness of it, and and as a as an optimistic entrepreneur, man, you're looking at it, go, man, we're almost there, almost. And so often, the hardest point will come right before that. I don't know if that's Mm -hmm. a Murphy's law. Stat, but you just showcased it. And uh, again, we got we got to get a movie here. Uh, <laughs>
0: but, but again, how do you stay during that point on that low point? Yeah. I can't tell you enough. It's a positivity. Mm. You know, we didn't get up. We stayed around. We made sure our team knew we were underdogs. We kept talking about what we were going to accomplish. You know, we could have got really down, and I guarantee that would have affected the outcome. But we had this belief that it was going to be great, and we built the whole team together, guys no one's expecting us to be successful. Yeah. And we talked about that. We said, we can do this together. And when you build something unifying, it's unbelievable what's happened. And, you know, in three years, we've had zero turnover. And as, as uh, your dad mentioned in one of the books, the turnover for millennials is literally every 13 months, someone under 29 years old, someone they're leaving a job. That's statistic. I think a wisdom meets passion that Dan shares. We've had zero turnover because we built this together and we focused on them. And uh, it was a wild ride. I appreciate trying to do a movie. It, w- it would be a fun one. I'll tell you
1: that. It would be a fun one. I'm thinking of A Field of Dreams and The Greatest Showman, both. We got to combo those. That's your story right there. And folks, on that, again, a, a shameless promotion. Find Your Yellow Tux, uh, the book. You get the story and you get the details. It's a great story. If you just like a good read, do it for that. But it does have so, so much meat in it. And I actually want to hit on a few things there. Your three primary aspects that you talk about amongst the story is yellow tux yourself, yellow tux your business and yellow tux your legacy. So I want to start off with that, the yellow tuxing yourself. Now we all, I think are familiar with having our business stand out having a brand having a differentiating factor a usp a unique selling proposition and on and on and on and on so we understand that but when you're talking you you start off with yellow tuxing yourself i don't think that that is a common perspective people have so tell us what you are getting at there
0: you know it's it's what what can you be the best at what do you, what do you what do you dislike what are you doing during the days that are just absolutely frustrating you i think so many people in a given day they're fighting fires They're fighting their firefighter fatigue. They brag about how busy they are. You know, I challenge everyone to look at their given days. And for me, it started with a mirror moment. And I think this actually parlays into the business as much as anything. When I realized in the business sense, what frustrates people? And I call this a mirror moment. What frustrates you about the industry you're in? What frustrates you about the business that you're in and put yourself in the customer's shoes? When I realized all that about business and baseball, that it was long, slow and boring, I started to think more of all these things that I would love to do. So you can even have a mirror moment for yourself. You know, what are you doing right now that's frustrating you? What are you tolerating? What are you upset in a given day? And now think about where do you light up? Where do you lose track mm-hmm. of time? You know, I mentioned in the book, The Saturday Morning Test. On a Saturday morning with nothing to do, what do you want to do? And think about that. A lot of those can turn into a passion and something that you believe in. So uh, for me, when I don't, I never feel like I'm working. If I ever feel like I'm working, I'm doing the wrong thing. Yeah. And that's, a, that's, a, that's an interesting thing. But so that's, that's for me, that's where I started. And I realized I could not be the best at a lot of things. Operations at the stadium, I am the worst at putting up signs. I am terrible in a concession stand. Good luck get me out of there. But what I could potentially be the best at is on the field, getting people excited, interjecting with fans. So that that's that's where I started. And I just share my journey to think about for where should people start and think about that nine to five, whatever their job is, what are they doing that they're just really frustrated and they're hating? Because they're not going to put out great work. They're not going to be the best at that. And so that's what I try to narrow down the focus. Don't try to be a generalist, be very strategic on what you're doing.
1: Let me, I want to, I do want to round it. Cause it's just such a rich perspective. When you talk about that Saturday morning moment that when I, cause I, when I read that, I thought, okay, what do I want to do? Saturday mornings are a creative time with me. I just spend a little bit of time thinking creatively about some business, business, or maybe family. Those are my two muses. Um, but a lot of times from, a uh, a uh, physical perspective, I'll go and do some woodwork stuff and I'll look at something that I want in my home. We have wood on our, a uh, forest. I have a wood mill and I create stuff on our home, but, I don't want to do that. But the point that dig deeper, and this is what I'm going to point out for everybody. Think a little bit deeper than the actual activity you may be doing. What I'm doing is I'm creating, I'm building something to solve a problem or fulfill a desire. That is my life. That is part of my eulogy, uh, right. Going back there. So, so dig deeper. When you look at that, I love the perspective of that. Well, yellow tuxing yourself again, I, I like that folks, you got to read in and dig in more to that because that is one that's missed a lot. We usually skip over that and go to the business. I don't think you can do the business part of it well until you've done yourself. So let's jump to that though. Yellow tuxing your business. You are a flagship for having done that to a dramatic degree, but tell us what some of your key aspects that you want to pull people to on yellow tuxing your business. What are those?
0: You know, it's funny. I actually just recently did an obituary on the business Oh, that's excellent. uh, So I did it on, uh, I did it on myself. And then I did one on the business because again, how do you want your business to be remembered? You know, look back that. And, and I actually had it, uh, had our business going, I wrote it 150 years ahead of the time. And because if you know, the circus only lasted 146 years. So I actually made what we're going to develop, uh, dying out in 150 years. So that's somewhere I started, you know, even if you're not a business owner, an entrepreneur, if you're part of a business, you know, what is your role? What are, what are you are doing? How does that want to be remembered? And again, think about the business you're in. I've said this before, but it's the mirror moment. What frustrates people about the industry? I'm about challenging that status quo. We realized baseball was long, slow, and boring for many people. We realized a big thing, you know, we look at every part of the business. For, biz- for baseball, people hate, I think, that uh, you get nickel and dimed. You go to a stadium, any stadium in the world, you pay $10 for this, $8 for a soda, $5 for a burger, $6 for this, just keeps going on. So we said that frustrates us as a consumer, yeah. our customer. So we developed our all-you-can-eat tickets. Every ticket includes all your burgers, your hot dogs, your chicken, your soda, your water, your popcorn, your cookies, and your ticket for $15. So we literally try to think about how do we go backwards with that and create that. So even if you're in a spot, tiny spot in your industry, whatever it is, whether you're answering phones, whether you're doing that, what frustrates customers, what upsets them as an overall in the industry, and now do the exact opposite. And that's, that's how we look at the business. That's the lens, every event, you know, I mean, look at, I mean, literally a food truck festival, we're doing one in a month and it's getting tons of publicity because we're the first ever, all you can eat food truck festivals. Most people hate, you know, you stand in line, you pay $10 for yeah. an item. So we said, all right, what can we do that would not frustrate people that they don't have to pay $10 and $10 and only get two items. No, you get to try all the items for one price. And so that's the lens that we look at everything again, not just being better being only and thinking that. So that's how I challenge everyone to look at their job and their business. It's a little complex, but if you simplify it to that, it makes it a lot easier.
1: Yeah. I'm coming to that food truck thing. All right. That's <laughs> that's brilliant. Well, so the next one is yellow tucks your legacy. Mm-hmm. And um, I would ask you to share as much as you will, about, well, you know what, start off by just giving us a premise for everybody that's relevant, but I do want to hear because it, again, is an amazing story. What you, some of what you have a vision for in your own endeavors right now, you've got a legacy that you're already looking at in front of you. Uh, But tell us, give us some of the aspects of yellow tuxing your legacy that everybody can understand.
0: Everything changed for me in 2011. So I was in the industry just having fun. I mean, doing ridiculous promotions. I'm world's largest pillow fights, dig to China night, where we actually buried a one way ticket to China in the infield dirt and we let people dig for it. We'd get them to China, but we weren't going to give them a hotel or get them back. I mean, we came up yeah. with ridiculous things. Um, we were doing, having so much fun. But I realized there was still something out there. Like, why are we doing all this? And ironically, I was at a conference and I saw Simon Sinek's video, uh-huh. you know, how great leaders inspire action. I left the conference in the middle of it watched it over and over again started taking notes and trying to figure out what is, why are we doing this? And ironically, it was just about a month later that we were getting ready to hold a salute the troops night uh, at our ballpark to honor the troops and a local young man, 21 years old, Nick O'Brien, who was everything in our community, popular in high school and went over to Afghanistan and was uh, killed, you know, on all of overseas. And it was a very tough thing for our community And as he was fighting for our country, he died. And so all of a sudden, our intern who knew him said, we got to do something. And I agree. I was like, we got to do something for the family. And so what we did is on that salute troops night, we brought the mother, the father, the grandmother, the sister, the girlfriend. We all brought them to the stadium and to do a special tribute. We stopped the game in the first inning. We had two Marines come out and present a jersey with his name on it to the mother and the father and the family. And at that moment, we had everyone in the stadium standing, 4,000 people, and you could hear a pin drop. It was 100 degrees outside, and I had goosebumps. And I was sitting there, and it was just this really special moment. And all of a sudden, the mother walked off as we finished the two-minute tribute that we read for them and gave me the biggest hug. The mother just gave me the biggest hug I've ever received. And at that moment, she didn't even let go. At that moment, I went into my office, and I lost it. I got extremely emotional. And it was then that I realized why we were doing what we were doing. We brought the entire community together and we treated them like a family. We cared for them. And it was something special that you couldn't see anywhere else. And whether it was emotional like that or bringing everyone together to have really fun moments, that's why we're doing what we're doing. And it was one family that night. So it was a really special moment. So back at that in 2011, I realized why we were doing what we were doing. And that's guided me ever since. How can we bring more people together to create these special moments that unite people? And so literally that's, that's been our guide. And so I've understood that why, as we grow our business and the business is taking care of itself. So when I look at the legacy, you know, of the business, I believe that's what we're doing. And ultimately for me, how can I inspire those people? How can I bring them together? And, uh, that's, that's been driving me since.
1: Well, you know, you made a call out to Simon Sinek, and we've interviewed him. I don't know what show number that is. I'm not that quick, but folks, if you type in Simon Sinek, uh, start with why. That's what it's one of the top, I think, three TED Talks of yeah. all time. And like you, the first time I heard it, I bought the book right on the spot, and it has been a consistent rudder for everything. So, as much as you will, you have some visions for you've got two teams. You're having a blast. You guys are successful, but I I know your sites aren't stopped there. Matter of fact, you said you couldn't talk. I think it was tomorrow or the next day because you are uh, going to check out another stadium. So uh, what will you share? Tell us what you're looking at in a bigger picture.
0: I'll give you the biggest tease I can right now. All right. That's what I think. We we believe still with the game of baseball, there's challenges. And this goes back into that uh, understanding what the best possible experience for fans is. We've sold out every game. Tickets are on StubHub. You literally, there's scalpers outside the games for college summer baseball, which I still don't understand. Yeah. Yet people are still leaving early. And we put on a show. I mean, literally, I mean, the Banana Nana Senior Citizen Dance Team, we have a pet band. I mean, it's an absolute circus. A breakdancing first base coach who does the moonwalk in the middle of the game. It's wild. But people are still leaving around the sixth or seventh inning. We right now, I believe this, that baseball represents a hot dog stand. And right now, we are unbelievable at the condiments. Mustard, relish, ketchup, we put on a show. Our condiments are great, but the hot dog still needs work, and that's baseball. If we're selling at every game and people are still leaving, they don't want more, we need to figure out how to change the game and make it more exciting. So in the next 12 to 24 months, we're going to look to dramatically change the game of baseball and make it 100% about entertainment, fun, and excitement for the fans because that is our big goal. How can we be the most fan-centric company in the world, provide the ultimate fan experience? We're missing out because baseball's still hurting us. So that's a tease. We'll be looking at that in the future, and uh, hopefully we'll be able to share what we're doing.
1: Well, right off the bat, it feels brilliant because when we look at business and we look at some of the stories that those of us who study business or involved know of companies who looked at changing times and they innovated and they're now kings and the giant behemoths who didn't uh, like IBM, we can point out uh, are not there, and they wouldn't change. So, for you to tackle a national pastime, but to say I am devoted to making it stick, be as popular as some of the others that have uh, morphed and changed to fit. Man, I am, I am with you. So, folks, if you want to get behind that, again, go to findyouryellowtux.com dot com and uh, give your support send money, do whatever you need to do. Uh, but uh, at <laughs> send least money. Send money. money. Heard that before. Yeah, man. there you go. There you go. Uh, we're, <laughs> we're a full service podcast. Uh, Jesse, man, thank you for letting us be a part of the story. I do. I'm there to support you, man. People need to hear this. And, uh, it's a gift what you have done. You've brought joy to so many people there. Now you're doing it through your book and I know it's going to be in a bigger way. Thanks for bringing me joy right here, right now, today.
0: Thank you so much for the impact you guys are making. It's been fun to watch.
1: Friends, I'm not even going to ask if you got value from this show. I know you did. So please let Jesse know, leave a review in iTunes or Stitcher and tell him what you got out of this talk with him. Again, you can get his book, Find Your Yellow Tux at findyouryellowtux.com or wherever you buy books. I'll let you know what's coming up in our next show after I share these great resources. Okay, coming up next in show 604, let me start by saying you all are amazing. So many of you have friended me on Facebook at Agent K Miller and giving loads of amazing responses to these weekly questions. So I just thank you. Uh, This time, we listened to a clip from Zig Ziglar on having a positive mental attitude. And he brings up the issue of increasing your performance regardless of increasing your knowledge, which begged a great question that I posted on Facebook. I said, for your current personal progress, do you feel right now you need to, one, learn new information to increase your skills and abilities or need to, number two, improve your confidence, attitude, faith, motivation in order to increase your skills and abilities? We had just a tremendous response. Again, thanks to all of you. So Tom Ziegler and I talked through a lot of these comments. Really intriguing. You're going to want to join us for sure. Well, till then, thank you as always for letting me walk with you as we inspire our true performance together.